0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye
2: 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on today's episode. We're marking World Mental Health Day. We were talking to clinical psychologist Sneha John about children, anxiety, some of the red flags, that us parents need to look out for, and with another clinical psychologist, Dr. Thiraya, curious to get your questions on everything you'd want to know about therapy, but were afraid to ask. From the various types of experts to, does a psychologist ever say you're fixed? That's all coming up. We were speaking to one family with both a mother and a daughter diagnosed with breast cancer, and in conversation with hair care specialist Extraordinaire. Matthew Collins speaking to us. He is the man who knows it all about those Dyson hair tools. Today we are discussing mental health, of course, awareness, advocacy against social stigma. And with us now is Sneha Johns, clinical psychologist at Kamali Clinic. She's a real expert when it comes to children, adolescents in particular. We are going to be talking to Dr. Thryer after four o'clock today and answering all the questions you were afraid to ask about therapy. But right now it is all about the kids and you're more than welcome. And I really mean this to get in touch if you are worried about any signs you're seeing in your child's health or behaviour. If you're wondering what next? I think that's a big thing for many parents is, you know, do I go to a family doctor? Do I go and, you know, seek an assessment? So do reach out if there's anything that's on your mind. So great to have you with us. Is it weird to say happy, happy world mental health day?
3: Not at all. <laughs> okay. It is. I think we should say it loud and proud. Quite right. Can I ask you, and I'm
2: going gonna, I'm gonna to make eye contact here.
3: Okay. How are you? I am doing really great. Good. Thank you for asking. I think we don't ask that you know enough and I really love to be asked that question asking people as well how are you doing mm-hmm. and I think it can be more than good or okay I think we can definitely say you know more to kind of express ourselves about how we're really doing just yeah. introspect on that
2: we don't need to tell everybody the truth about how we're doing but it's quite useful just to have a little reflect ourselves and be like
3: yeah I'm all right today
2: and I think I think with our kids as well how, opening up conversations around mental health doesn't need to be this big serious weighty Mm -hmm. thing you know talking about the topic of mental health but you know in conversation that sometimes our bodies are tired and we might have an injury and sometimes our brains might not be feeling too good. Um, So thank you for being with us today Um, and before we get on to some recent and, and regional stats around mental health what are some of the common signs that we as parents need to be tuned in for that might signify that our kids are struggling whether it is depression anxiety or all manner of things that you're seeing in clinic
3: so i would say that some common signs are uh, a period of low mood for example just you know being quite sad Uh, and without any explanation as to why. And it should be more than a week. If you see that as a trend, uh, that is something that is worth looking out for, as well as just uh, unexplained anger, irritability, uh, just kind of feeling quite, uh, uh, you know, uh, quite tired all the time, uh, and also kind of uh, scared. I mean, fears. Mm. Uh, These fears might be uh, quite uh, concrete or it might also just be uh, they might not really know how to express themselves in terms of fear fears uh, th- that they have so if, if you see fears if you see that there are issues with going to school and refusing uh, or just you know preferring to stick with a parent you know it, it, or kind of or even in their rooms are just kind of isolated. being quite yeah, isolated or clingy Uh, I think that is, those are some warning signs.
2: What I find really hard to separate as a parent is sometimes these are situational. Sometimes that might be a fallout with a friend or something they're not enjoying at school. And that's completely normal. But I feel like there is this big rush for parents to, you know, to get a diagnosis. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, there were probably kids in, in my class at school who maybe did have a clinical diagnosis of anxiety, but we just thought that they were a bit of a worrier. And I guess my question to you is, when do you need to reach out and get professional help? Because there are things that we can cope with as parents and, you know, we know our children best, but sometimes it does take an expert hand to guide them and help them.
3: So uh, if you ever find that their worries um, are actually affecting their daily life for example at school and at home where it's over a period of I would say two weeks give or take that's the great time to kind of reach out and okay and think there is something more to this rather than just the occasional worry.
2: So how common is it there's been a recent study in the UAE around anxiety in particular yes
3: so what what
2: age group are we talking about and how high are the numbers and I'm nervous to hear this
3: so um i'd say any age group between 5 and 18 um and it's i mean it it was a study done um in 2022 um by the rashid hospital and all over uae and it's about um 70% that was in terms of you know statistics uh, there are uh, there, there was statistics that these kids between these ages they go through uh, some sort of mental health issue which might be diagnosed or ni- not diagnosed and uh, and they suffer in silence. So it's a 70% from their uh, kind of a cohort of about 1,000 uh, children all over the UAE.
2: And that's not to say that they, from the age of 5 to 18, are going to be feeling you know anxious or depressed constantly. No. But, but I, I get a little bit frustrated, to be honest, because I feel like it's totally normal to have sad days and, and good days. And I feel like we're in a bit of a rush often to get a diagnosis. And there's an amazing um, psychotherapist and writer, Philippa Perry, who, if you haven't read her book, it's called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read. She, she was, she's got a new book out. and read an interview with her this morning saying... ADHD is very fashionable at the moment. It's social contagion that drives this. You don't know where your keys are. doesn't mean you've got ADHD. You can't sit still. That doesn't mean you've got ADHD. I get a little bit worried. She says, I'm not saying all labels are bad. I'm saying that some labels give you an excuse not to take self-responsibility. Is that a line that we need to be aware of as parents in terms of, Overdiagnosing, diagnosing over-labeling, and I'm going to be completely honest, sometimes excusing just some pretty rubbish behaviour from our kids with a label and a diagnosis. <laughs>
3: exactly, yes, yes. I I don't think that the diagnosis is uh, the be-all, end-all, to be honest. I mean, it's It's just uh, the focus would be on solving the core problem. And, uh, and I think uh, kind of... That would be the focus of parents, uh, mm. and also children, because there's a lot of exposure to these labels now, uh, to a point sometimes, you know, children, especially teenagers come and come to clinic and say, I think I've got this because I have all the symptoms of these things. I saw a video on TikTok and it's talk- exactly TikTok <laughs> is, is kind of uh, the guru at the moment. So it's, it's just that, you know, it, it, I have had patients who kind of have checked all those boxes and said, yes, I, I definitely have this so i think it would be really good for uh parents to be aware that okay if if it's um if it is a behavior we have to solve the behavior rather than uh you know the, the diagnosis part of it you know so that would be easier we here john with us this afternoon she's a clinical psychologist at kamali clinic
2: Sneha John in the studio clinical psychologist at Kamali clinic and we're looking at children and teens in particular today Sneha and you just saying earlier just how how busy you are and some of the issues that are coming into clinic around anxiety depression bullying yes. unfortunately yes um, I wanted to ask you is there a, that you might have noticed in clinic or indeed statistically you know ages or life stages where children might particularly struggle with their mental health
3: so definitely, uh, according to a, a survey by the World Health Organization, there was like some statistics done earlier this year in about in January 2023, and it was found that between the ages of about um, five to 12, that's when the child is uh, very, very vulnerable. Uh, you know, so that's 50 percent would reach uh, about 12 years of age and would have some Sort of underlying mental health mm-hmm. problem because of the kind of you know changing uh, environment that we're living in, it might get diagnosed later on in life, but it usually it is it's there you know it again it's not just anxiety or depression there's there's so many other sort of even um, it, it, autism gets not really diagnosed up until that age, sadly, you know. And there's uh, there are like, eating disorders, so there's these that twelve years is a very critical age. So that's when it all kind of comes up. Okay. Um,
2: yeah, Master um, is saying how to find a good psychologist. Great question, because I still think there is a little bit of. Um, confusion around you know I've identified that my child let's say let's use anxiety as an example given the stats we talked about earlier you know it looks like all signs point to my child having anxiety now what do we go to a family doctor can we go directly to a psychologist how do we know if it's a good match what advice would you give to families who who are looking for some expert help
3: so i would I would say um have a look at the uh, you know the person's profile on their website on the clinic website hospital website, uh, and just kind of uh, you know read through what they specialize in look at." Um, even um, kind of reading up their credentials. Uh, I would say for children, it's important to look for someone who's actually specialized mm. um, and done some extra degrees in child and adolescent uh, mental health. So that's important. Look at their credentials. Look at also, I mean, if if it's in where applicable to involve children, sometimes it just helps for them to see the picture of the person and just like, you know, to have, totally. you know, to be involved. Oh, this is, would you like to talk to this person? So I think giving Getting them involved in the process also helps. But again, uh, have a time to just discuss, if you can, with the, the therapist. Uh, beforehand so you know just a, a quick phone call say this is the thing am I, the, am I coming to the right person uh, do we need another doctor for this uh, I'm just I'm I'm a little confused so I think that would be very good to just have a hand uh, like just uh, have a phone call uh, and then kind of take it from there um, and to kind of
2: demystify what might happen in a typical session and again let's stick with the anxiety example and, and let's go straight down the middle of that age group and say a nine-year-old with anxiety okay. yeah would the parent be in the room for the first session or is it an independent situation.
3: So the parent would be there for uh, about uh, 15, 20 minutes of a session. And I'd, I always say parents are allies. Parents are kind of, you know, the 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 kind of the anchor. So they, they're going to be kind of present throughout the process. But then the rest of the time would be really getting to know the child uh, and just to understand what they think of the problem. Mm. And just kind of um, just it's, it's basically first about feelings and emotions and getting to talk about that. And then... Uh, it's going to be typically over the next few sessions that we get to know what their uh, take on the problem is. And then we can help them to be resilient and overcome that. So it
2: must take a lot of time and patience to build trust as well and I think this is adults as well as children and teens
3: for sure I think trust is like the key and that's what kind of keeps uh, the whole family integrated into achieving Mm. best out of uh, therapy because once they find that uh, the the therapist is you know is on their side is there a help uh, and it's uh, and it's kind of you know it's a process to just reaching that that level where the child feels comfortable and happy it, it would we would re- really receive good results so i think it is like the first few sessions is really about building the trust answering any questions because no question is is you know silly every single question counts so taking that time and that would really help
2: I'm going to go to the text line. We've had an anonymous message coming in saying our son is nearly nine and is generally an anxious child. He's very curious and asks all the what if questions and we answer in an age appropriate manner. In school, they're learning about natural disasters like tornadoes and earthquakes. It's on his mind constantly. He's got a real fear that something bad is going to happen. He's made Lego creations of national disasters, uh, draws pictures, looks at uh, the weather and panics that a tornado is coming. He's been waking in the night saying he's had nightmares about it. Um, he's worried sick. How can I help him? Can I ask the school to keep him out of those lessons? Does need any other support? Otherwise, he's a normal, healthy, love, fun-loving kid, clever, curious, interested, and no concerns otherwise. Advice appreciated. Sounds like a really worried parent. It's yes. horrible to see your child distressed like that.
3: Exactly. It? And uh, but thank you for that question. I mean, I would say that uh, it it would be good for the child to have a little bit of time away from these topics that's kind of bothering him and also for the, for the child to know that uh, what ifs are thoughts and these are you know we have different types of thoughts in a, on a daily basis some thoughts we give a lot of attention to some thoughts we don't and and it's important for him to know that it's you know it's it's um, a worry it's separate for from the child and it's something that can get reduced as um he gets more confident to to think that okay that's it's just it's natural disasters happen but the but we recover from it and it's kind of giving hope mm-hmm. so building the resilience so that the child can confront that thought and be okay for it just maybe like while talking in discussion for about 2 3 minutes and then it helps to kind of gradually uh, do that but i i would also su- suggest support because i think it it would be good to have uh, a therapist work uh, with the child to kind of get it more uh, better rectified. It's
2: really difficult as a parent. I mean, I'm using this as an example from this listener, because, you know, we want to make everything easy and painless for our child. Yes. We, we, you know, and sometimes we that that by going, you don't need to worry about that. That's not going to happen, which isn't necessarily, you know, validating how that child's feeling. They're, no. they're going to feel dismissed and, and not heard, even though if our attention, intention rather, is to soothe them to make them feel better.
3: Exactly. It's but, very hard. Yeah, it's hard. It, it just kind of plays in their mind because that's not what they want to hear.
2: <laughs> okay, last question for you, Snehajuan. I am going to give you a magic wand and I'm going to make you the global minister of mental health when it comes to Ooh. children and teens. I know there's no pay rise, I'm afraid. It's just, it's just, <laughs> a, it's just the honour. Um, I just wondered, for all the parents listening today, what would you love us to do to try to help our children really thrive emotionally?
3: this is an excellent question very very dear to my heart so uh, i would say that um really making uh you know it a priority to discuss about emotions and just um and even emotional kind of regulation on a daily basis and kind of an open environment not not kind of being dismissive of that and also i think it's important to model resilience um it's it's a big word but i think it helps to kind of discuss how you've solved problems and mm-hmm. and how you know, and, in you know, again, age appropriate ways, being honest about how you felt through it, but what you did. So I think that kind of gives them um, an access and also kind of just being there as, you know, a friend or a coach more than sometimes a parent. So I think that would be my Great
2: three advice. tips. Sajon, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. We can find you at Kamali Clinic. Happy World Mental Health Day. Happy I didn't world. get you a card, but I'm, I'm sending you the, the,
3: I can, the I message can I, I receive it. Thank you. <laughs>
2: It is October and we are, of course, continuing the conversations around breast cancer awareness. Now, finding out that someone in your family has breast cancer is hard enough, my goodness. But then to find out a few years later that a second member of the same family has it just compounds that agony that's exactly what happened to our next guest uh Geetha Lakshmi found out that she had breast cancer in 2020 at the age of 50 but before that she had to go through her mum's breast cancer diagnosis in 2013 when her mum was 75 years old we're going to be speaking to their doctor as well um Geetha Lakshmi thank you so much for being with us today um I really appreciate your time and, and your openness around talking on this topic um Would you mind taking us back in time to when you first heard about your mum and what stage was her breast cancer? Uh,
4: Thank you, first of all, for hosting me today. Uh, Well, uh, my campaign is more to do with the awareness because after I endured the whole thing, I realised it was my ignorance that was the biggest cause of worry. Uh, I was leading a very normal life and I thought, uh, I'm not going to fall sick in any which way. Going back to mom, mom is a very, very strong woman. She's an iron lady. And uh, she just, when she visited Dubai somewhere in 2013, 14, uh, on the day she was leaving uh, back uh, home to India, She just told me, I think I have some boils around this place. this is right under her neck. And she wanted me to see and tell her what it could be probably. Mm -hmm. I saw them and immediately I realized this is not okay. uh, At least uh, not a place where it should be. And I said, mom, you need to check with the Gainac and see to it that you check. Because one of my friend's moms had the same problem and it was diagnosed as breast cancer later. Mm -hmm. So she goes back to India and then uh, she... Thankfully, he listened to me. She met the gynec there, and then they immediately did all the tests. and They said she has to go for a second opinion. She did that, and finally, they did the FNAC test for her, and uh, she was diagnosed with the breast cancer, ER eighty five percent positive, stage three to stage four, progressing. Ah, oh. oh, that was impossible for all of us. She, uh, well, I would say she 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 was very strong, in fact, and. Uh, I couldn't be with her because my son was having his board exams and I'm a single mom. So my sister took over. My dad was all totally broken. But it was almost about eight, nine months she had to go through the whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. And because uh, she was 67, at that, 65, 67, yeah. And she, uh, in fact, had, uh, she was diabetic and therefore her healing took a little time. Mm-hmm. But she was extremely strong. And
2: she went through the whole thing, yes, and... Uh, yeah we, we 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 finished all that you came through that so that was um back in 2013 2014 and Correct. then unfortunately in 2020 um your own breast cancer was detected tell us a little bit about that time and was that a worry for you having seen what your mum had been through that you know perhaps this could well, have been uh, in your own I,
4: I yeah i knew uh, probably it could be me or my sister but uh, my sister is a little more uh, prone to all kinds of sickness, you know. So okay. I was joking with her. You'd be the one who's <laughs> going to take it up, not me.
5: <laughs> Finally,
4: <laughs> in 2020, when COVID hit and we were all almost under house arrest, it so happened that I was just relaxing and I uh, kind of found my uh, finger uh, nails in my toes and my legs to be a little uh, not okay. I mean, yeah, there was a, a small... Uh, it was an instinct i would say and i was mm-hmm. not feeling too well and i was just joking around saying that i'm going to the doctor now and then my son was telling me you know how it was during the covid period all of us were paranoid with each and everything that we noticed on our body so i just went to uh check with the doctor uh who i mean i'm, I'm a sportswoman so the the maximum visits to the hospital will always be with the ortho, you know, yeah. we don't go
2: the for anything. Not press. Not
4: <laughs> yeah. So we went to the ortho, he checked up and he said, you're absolutely fine. And he was joking. In fact, he said, my wife, sir, again, like, you want to meet her? I said, OK, yeah, I'll meet her too. Oh, wow. Because we had to take the police permission at that time, if That's you remember, right. on the app and all that. So I said, okay, I'll get it done altogether. I went and she checked and she suspected something. And she said, why don't we go for a sonography, did a sonography. And they said, you wait uh, for some time. The report will be uh, released in about 10 minutes. I waited there and and uh, the report comes and uh, <laughs> I I still get goosebumps when I remember that. Mm-hmm. And all I could read was 95% malignancy. And I was like, what? I was alone in in, in the hospital, and nobody knows I went to the hospital. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know how I drove back home, and I didn't know how to break it to my parents, to my sister, to my son, to my friends. I really didn't know. And that's when, as I reached home, is when Dr. Shiva calls me this time Mm -hmm. and says, I'm free, you can come and see me now.
2: Oh, goodness. I mean, you're speaking to us now in great spirits. Um, Tell tell us about the treatment and how you're feeling now.
4: Oh, well, uh, I mean, I don't know if I sound very (laughs) different, but COVID was a blessing for me indirectly. Mm -hmm. You know, at that time, uh, what I understood when I was going through all my treatment protocol is, you know, I, I am absolutely fragile and my immunity is, you know, on the rock bottom yeah. of, of everything and i had to be extremely careful uh that i don't get any infection or whatsoever so indirectly covid was a blessing and of course because it was COVID, uh unfortunately i couldn't travel to india we had no flights and all that so i mustered up some courage and I uh, because i live in green community uh, in, in in the dubai investment park
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, very friendly and very very close neighbors all of them, uh, we, we were we were really uh, sharing a lot of uh, spirit amongst ourselves okay. because all of us were indoors. And so I mustered up courage and I, I picked up about 15 ladies from the, the group here. I said uh, made a group and I said, listen, I need your support. I'm diagnosed with this. So I may not be able to go to India for treatment, but if there is anything at all, Please stand by. And they were phenomenal, oh, all of them here. You know?
2: gosh, that's they so were beautiful phenomenal. to hear
3: that. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, the, uh, I mean, I don't know, it's like God just held my hand and made me go through the whole thing. That's the feeling I have. Dr. Shiva was a blessing and all my uh, friends here were a real blessing. And then my colleagues, uh, don't ask me. Oh, and it, okay. it went on to so, so, I mean, it was such a beautiful experience. I know I, I might be sounding stupid when I say this. It was horrendous in terms of pain and reaction and all that nonsense. Equally, I could definitely feel some kind of energy And Okay, fine, Geeta, this is your karma. You need to go through this. We are here. We'll take care of you. You are going through this. We are fighting it. So much so, doctor allowed me to celebrate Diwali and then come for my uh, <laughs> first uh, I I mean, I called what, doctor after Diwali. What I'm hearing you know, is oh, just
2: yeah. how much love and positivity you were surrounded by but you need to give yourself credit for for creating that environment because it would have been very easy for you you to isolate yourself it really would have been though and to say this is what i need and it sounds like those people just just showed up for you we've we have got oh they
4: did they did in fact what they did was you won't believe if i'm going to go to the hospital day after tomorrow for my first chemo the ladies here organized uh Kicked the cancer on the butt party. Can you imagine? <laughs> we did that. We did that. We celebrated it. And we said, we are all, this is called Team Geeta. We are with you. And the number of casseroles that used to come home. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> awesome.
2: Well, <laughs> we've we've got part of your team with us now. Dr. Siva speaking to us, the head oh, of surgery and oncology at Asta Hospital's Alcasoes. Uh, Dr. Siva, thank you so much for your time today. Um, yes. We've just been hearing from there about you know her mum's diagnosis, and then also her diagnosis seven years later. We have spoken briefly on the show about the genetic components in breast cancer, um, and I wondered if you would able to explain to us a little bit about what everyone listening today needs to know when we're talking about risk factors in the family history.
6: Yeah. hi. Good evening, and uh, thank you for the uh, thank you all for giving me the opportunity. My pleasure. To, uh, yeah. Thank you. And I, yeah, yeah I listen to Gita's uh, <laughs> things also. Like uh, exactly like the way she is like she was before, and now also, she's not changed much. And <laughs> uh, he takes it all uh, in that you no know, cold sense. And uh, <clears throat> regarding the family history, <clears throat> usually it's like we call like five to ten percent only. Hardly if you see hundred people, uh, five to ten will be having the risk of you know familial. Breast cancer, it mm-hmm. runs in family, but as a person, like if you uh, have a gene, actually, it's not like your mother have, you have to have. It's like BRCA,
5: mm-hmm.
6: card test we do, and most of the time it will be negative only. It's not like it should be positive, like familial. So if your mother had or if somebody in the family had less than 45 years of age and they had a very severe disease like metastatic disease, stage 4 disease and they succumbed to the disease, they didn't get over the disease, then there may be high chance like you are, they are hormone positive. So usually if less than 45 years, usually female coming with breast cancer, the advanced or there are some criteria which we always check for the gene. If that gene is positive and... Uh, if you have like uh, the mother is having two kids or three kids and we will check the siblings also, like not siblings, the kids also. So when they come, they become positive for that gene, then you have higher risk. Like lifetime risk. Lifetime risk for you for breast cancer and ovary cancer will be around sixty to seventy percent. Like if your your lifespan is seventy-two years. So in that lifespan, you might have a chance. But as a public as a public, if you don't know about yeah, your father or mother, had the gene or not, as a public, normally a female will have only 5 to 10 percent chance of getting a familial like, gene-related okay. cancer. Got it? Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's
5: okay.
2: a it's a, lot, it's a lot to think about. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, Gita was being, you know, particularly vigilant given what her mum had been yeah. through. And um, I just wanted to ask, really, for your final message uh, Geetha Lashmi, for for women listening today, um, as we mark Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I'm handing the microphone over to you for just a, just a few seconds to 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 say what you'd like to say to the women yeah, of the, the UAE. Two things, like Geetha, can you hear me?
4: Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, what I'm trying to uh, tell to people is number one, please avoid as much toxic relationships as possible. Everybody's stress is not your stress, first of all. And secondly, uh, what I endured or what I went through was uh, basically uh, a very, very silent one and in fact i was diagnosed uh, from stage three progressing to stage four Mm -hmm. so i was only thinking had i been able to diagnose this in stage one Mm -hmm. i wouldn't have been uh, pushed into going through all the treatments and uh, medical protocol that i had to go you see so my advice for all women is to frequently screen yourselves there's no harm in screening yourselves it's always better to be uh, to take precautions and be safe, then be sorry later. Well, not everybody is going to be as lucky as me to have all those people around us and, and help us through this. But definitely screen yourselves as best possible. And life is good. Don't allow any kind of tension to get into your head. Because Dr. Siva told me one thing which I reflect every day. Look, if we take one negative emotion into ourselves all the cells in our body gets negative never allow that get away from stress it's not uh, helpful mm-hmm. it doesn't uh, add value at any uh, it doesn't add value at all just live life is beautiful i've got a second lease of life and i'm trying my best to live it Oh. Yeah, and I don't care for anything i have got I've got sorry. the, I've got the biggest as happy as no
2: I love it I've got the biggest smile on my face hearing hearing that I really really do and thank you so much for sharing my your story pleasure. all it's my great. very best to you and your mum and to thank, thank you to you. Dr Siva as well what an incredible story what an incredible attitude my goodness We're talking style now, fashion, hair, with celebrity hairstylist and Dyson's global styling brand ambassador, Matthew Collins, is with us now. He does hail from L.A., but is in Dubai for Dubai Fashion Week and is going to be styling many of the looks you're going to be seeing on the runway. I have to confess to you, first of all, Matthew, that you are speaking to the laziest person in history when it comes to her hair. So I am desperate for tips and advice. And you have, my goodness, worked with the best in your chair on the runway. You've had the likes of Gigi Hadid, Carly Kloss, Cindy Crawford, Kristen Stewart, Kristen Bell. Oh my goodness. Where did it begin for you? When did you know that you wanted to work in this industry?
0: Well, funny enough, it was when I was 12 years old, but I didn't know I wanted to do hair in fashion. I, was obsessed with getting my own hair cut so I started to kind of learn how to give myself a fade from my barber. So I would cut my hair every three days from when I was 12. And then when I was 16, I started to convince some of my friends to let me cut their hair because I thought I could do it better than their hairdresser. And? But I never really <laughs> knew about the fashion world. I didn't know about anything what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So I never really wanted to be a hairdresser. I just liked to cut hair. But then when I was... 22, I finished a year university and I was pretty depressed. I didn't have a, a, you know, a direction that I wanted to go. And my mom just said, why don't you try sweeping floors at the salon that I go to? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mom said really other than her family, she, I have four sisters and my father was a pilot who was always gone. She's like, really one of the only things that makes me happy is a good haircut. So I realized the power that I could have to you know, change someone's mood and change how they feel about themselves. So I started sweeping floors in the salon. And actually that first day I said, I think I want to move to LA eventually and become a celebrity hairstylist. But I never thought that that could happen, but that was my dream. And then I just kind of ended up owning a few salons and started working with celebrities in Canada and doing photo shoots. And then Eight years ago, I moved to Los Angeles, where now I just work with celebrities doing red carpet work and press events. And wow. So it was kind of a wild journey. I thought I wanted to be a professional athlete, and now I'm a celebrity hairstylist. So it was a fun little journey.
2: When you think back to those breakthrough moments, those surreal moments of, oh my goodness, look whose hair I'm touching. Which comes to mind? Do you feel like there was a real I've made
0: it moment You know what, I, sometimes I do, but then sometimes I look back and I think that once you hit the moment of, you know, you think that that moment was going to be the moment where you're going to think you made it, Mm -hmm. you finish that moment and then you immediately forget about it. (laughs) Like sometimes you just kind of always look forward. Like, and I think what I realized when I work with a lot of celebrities is like, We all think that everyone at a very high level thinks that they've made it Mm -hmm. and knows that they've made it. But I think it's a general thing about human nature that once we get to a certain point, we then immediately, unfortunately, wonder what's next. I know. So, yes, sometimes I have it, but then I think, you know, my self-consciousness, um, always strives me to do the next thing. So well, I guess I'm kind of never satisfied, but you try to look back and think that you're satisfied.
2: I, I think you touched on something really important, which is exactly that, you know, pausing and reflecting on, you know, just how far we've come, no matter what that industry is. And it's actually very reassuring to hear that someone who's at the absolute peak of um success has a bit of imposter syndrome and you know is always striving i think that's what you know sometimes what keeps us keeps us fired up so thank you for sharing i I genuinely do really appreciate it yeah um
0: i was thinking of you this morning with you i think it i think it is what fires people up i think that is kind of important to kind of have that drive constantly Mm -hmm.
2: um i you couldn't be in dubai at a better time matthew collins i was dropping off my children at school this morning and the humidity is horrendous so um i think a lot of people are looking like monica from friends right now when she went to barbados um so i wondered if you were able to share in your years of experience any humidity busting hair tips have you found any products or techniques over the years that can stop the frizz please
0: well i think the most important thing starts at the very beginning because when hair leaves your scalp and turns into the hair that we have now it essentially is then dead it's only living once it's in the scalp Mm -hmm. so once it's gone out of the scalp it then starts to get damaged over time from either you know putting a brush through your hair using a tool that is too hot dyeing your hair, bleaching your hair. So it's so important for us to make sure that we use and do things that are going to keep our hair healthy because once our hair becomes more and more unhealthy, that's when frizz and moisture kind of seeps into the hair because the cuticle is open Mm -hmm. and then that's when we're going to get frizz. So, you know, it's okay if the humidity hits your hair, but if your hair's healthier, it's not going to be as bad. Your shape will hold up a little bit more, you know, it'll kinda keep the original moisture and the product that you did in your hair and have the shine. And I think that it really comes back to, you know, eight years ago when we first first launched the supersonic and it kinda changed the industry because we cared more about airflow to dry the hair rather than using extreme heat, which in turn really made hair get much less damaged. And I think as we've continued to launch new tools, really our number one thing at Dyson is to maintain the hair health over everything else. And I think that that's kind of the number one thing. The secondary thing is using products in the hair. I always tell people that there's really two types of products. There's a polymer or an emollient style of product. So a polymer is a mousse, a texture spray, a volume spray, a hairspray and an emollient is oils, creams, or serums. So one creates volume, one creates smoothness. So in high humidity areas, it's definitely important to use a lot of emollients, like Mm -hmm. oils and creams to kind of tame your hair down. And a lot of people don't use enough, so kind of what I suggest when people go through figuring out how much hair product they use is to start with a small amount, see how it works, the next day or next wash use double that and keep using more and more and more until you realize it's too much and then you kind of go back to that time before where you used a little bit less and that's your perfect amount of product to kind of control that humidity
2: we'll be back with more hair tips and tricks from celebrity hairstylist matthew collins next
0: you're listening to the uae's number one talk radio station
2: this is afternoons with helen farmer
0: on dubai i 103.8
2: Great to have you with us. I am chatting to Dyson's global styling brand ambassador, hair extraordinaire, Matthew Collins. He's in Dubai styling all the models for Dubai Fashion Week. Now, I grew up with a best friend who literally used to iron her hair flat with an actual iron. Uh, yeah, terrifying. I still remember the smell. Thank goodness we have moved on from that. But when it comes to crimes against hair, Matthew, what are some of the
0: worst... I think the worst, it's kind of that, it's over styling the hair, it's, you know, we at Dyson, even there's like a temperature that our tools are all measuring the temperature coming out of our tool at 100 times a second or 40 times a second for any air driven tool. But it's not just measuring it, it's sending it back to a micro, like a microprocessor, which then is controlling the heat. So that's really important. But I think that the crimes I've seen with hair are like the first time I did Paris Fashion Week 20 years ago to create this wildly frizzy look, like a very look that no one would wear. They would spray tons and tons of hairspray on the hair, mm-hmm. back comb the hair, and then flat iron the hair. So slowly. Like you would hear it cracking and sizzling. But then when you brush it out, it would be this very like it was kind of beautiful the hair. It was like frizzy and staticky and very, very big. Mm-hmm. But it was horrible to hear the sounds of the sizzling and cracking. Like it was like, oh, I still think about it. Yeah,
2: shivers down the spine. Um, what about your what you're planning for Dubai Fashion Week? What's uh, what's hot right now, and how does that translate, I guess, internationally?
0: well it's so fun to be here because dyson is the official care partner of dubai fashion week and you know we have a really cool pop-up between the buildings of nine and ten in the dubai design district Mm -hmm. and we're going to be just kind of working with like first of all from the 10th to the 15th there's going to be stylists on hand to get people glammed up before they go to a fashion show but i'm going to be there before that on the 9th and 10th working and just showing some new products we have the dyson Airwrap just launched two new items, which is the diffuser and the very large round brush, mm. which I'm so excited about because I love a big round brush. It's always been my favorite, so to add that tool to the repertoire is amazing, and the diffuser. like I think anyone with curly hair that's used the diffuser and the supersonic has realized there's something special about the Dyson diffuser. It really helps to control the hair, and now we've brought that to the Airwrap, but we're going to be showing, like, I want to show a lot of, like, to me with trends right now, which is great with the round brushes, these two tools really speak to a lot of the trends. We're really embracing a lot of natural texture. Like, if we used to see fashion shows maybe five years ago, every single model would have the same hair. Mm-hmm. But now we're really embracing what that model's hair natural texture is and, you know, letting it speak for itself. As well as there's a lot of that like classic, expensive New York, the beautiful blowout coming back in style, which obviously that large round brush will be perfect for. So we're seeing kind of old, traditional, beautiful, simple hair coming back, but also that beautiful, natural texture embraced.
2: Ah, oh, you've made... You're in, you are inspiring the laziest person to to, to pick up her hair wrap. Um, what about, and this is a really selfish question, but I feel like I'd be amiss to not ask you this. How often should we be washing our hair? I know you're going to say it depends, but are there any guidelines? Because I've spoken to um, experts who will look at, you know, the, the scalp, for example, um, and they're saying, you know, you wash your face every day, so you wash your scalp every day. I just can't be bothered. What what tends to be your guidelines, Matthew?
0: water generally will still damage your hair like washing your hair letting it air dry still has a very small form of damaging not extreme but it's better to kind of go a little bit longer like maybe every other day if you can manage it i go every 3 or 4 days and usually the last day i give myself a scalp treatment i kind of exfoliate my scalp if you're never styling your hair then maybe every day works but Most people will blow dry their hair or use a hot tool on their hair. So you generally want to try to extend that style so that you're using the least amount of heat on your hair as possible. Makes sense. Who would you love to get your hands on? Even my agent asked me this question, like, who's your dream client? Mm -hmm. And I already have my dream clients because my clients are so wonderful Mm -hmm. and so many of them have become such close friends. Sometimes if I watch a TV show and I become obsessed with that TV show, it would be fun to do their hair. I like to watch the show Love Island. So sometimes I'm like, Oh man, I want to get my hands on some of their hair and actually make it really pretty. <laughs> sometimes it's a little bit overdone and I want to make it a little bit more casual. But I think that I've been lucky enough to do some really good people and they're just all such wonderful
2: people. We spoke earlier to uh, Dr. Paul Nassif from Botched, and we were talking about the importance of managing expectations when it comes to plastic surgery. And I'm sure that's something you've experienced with people coming in saying, I want to look like that. And you go, yeah, but that's a wig. Um, so I think what you're kind of doing so, so beautifully <laughs> is kind of meeting people in the middle of, yeah, making some hair dreams come true, and but also teaching people about these tools as well. So that's my last question to you. And I know an awful lot of people in Dubai have and love the Dyson Airwrap. What's your number one tip for getting the most out of that tool?
0: Well, start from when you first get the tool. Like, I have an iPhone, and most people I know have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. But if some, one of your friends had, say, a Samsung phone and switches to an iPhone, and they first ask you, how do I use this? I wouldn't even know where to begin to tell them how to use an iPhone, <laughs> even though I know it's so well. Mm-hmm. I would tell them, go play with the phone for a week, try some things, and then if you have specific questions, come ask me. And that's the same thing with the Dyson Airwrap. You want to kind of get the Dyson Airwrap, play around with it. Just try it, you know, see what you can do, then maybe watch some YouTube videos, and then kind of become a little bit more of an expert. It's not necessarily a Dyson curler. It's not necessarily replacing a curling iron. It's the multi-styler. It's Mm -hmm. there to give you an array of styles. And I like the Dyson Airwrap for quick, easy styling. Like, don't overcomplicate it. What I love about the Dyson Airwrap is you can't mess it up. Your worst case scenario is you're going to smooth the hair more (laughs) and the barrels don't get hot enough that you're going to burn yourself. So you don't have to be scared of that. You're not going to burn your hair if you leave the hair too long in a curling uh, barrel. If people find that their curl is not holding with the Airwrap, Usually that same person, they find their hair doesn't hold curl with a curling iron. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't hold hair with a curling iron, that's just your hair texture. It has nothing to do with the tool. But some tips are you definitely want to leave a little moisture in your ends before you start using the curling attachments. Because if there's moisture in the hair, there's elasticity in the hair, so your hair will hold longer. The second thing is everyone's amount of timing they leave their section on the curling barrel is different. For one person, it might be five seconds on hot, the next person could be up to 20 seconds on hot because each person's hair is different. Mm -hmm. So find your perfect amount of timing on heat, but also the cool shot is very important. Hot air will set the curl into place, but the cool air locks it into place. So most people use the cool air too quickly, they use it for two or three seconds, but the cool air needs to get all the way through that section to lock it into place. So I do suggest always leaving the cool shot on for at least five seconds after the heat, and that's gonna really help the longevity of the curl. But also, if you're someone that the curl always falls out of the curling iron, and you find that doing it with the air wrap, You can style it multiple times, like in the morning before you go to work. And if you're going to dinner, style it again, Mm -hmm. because we know it's measuring the heat temperature at 40 times a second. And it's not going to damage your hair like a curling iron will if you have to use a curling iron multiple times a day.
2: Makes sense. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know you're fresh off the flight Um, and wishing you a wonderful Dubai Fashion Week. It's great to have you in town, Matthew Collins. You can be found at Matthew Stylist on Instagram to see your hair and that of all of the incredible people that you've worked with over the years um have a fantastic day ahead.
0: Thank you so much. It was great speaking to you.
2: It is World Mental Health Day and we are asking the questions that maybe you've been afraid to ask, finding out what happens behind closed doors in therapy. To guide us through this topic bust some myths and answer those questions is dr thry clinical psychologist at the human relations institute and clinic dr t is it weird to say happy mental world health it's all lost all meaning happy (laughs) world mental health day how are you I'm well. How are you doing? Yeah. Happy World Mental Health Day to you too. It's actually been really lovely to see some of the messages we've had in on the text line and also what I'm seeing on Instagram, especially during such dark days, people talking about, you know, uh, trying to get an understanding of their mental health and talking about things that help them. And I guess normalizing that message of sometimes it's, it's okay to not to not be okay so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really grateful for the messages we've had so far and if anyone wants to get in touch to let us know what you do for your mental health or if, of course if you are struggling Dr T is on the case um before we get to the messages and the questions both from from listeners and myself um Dr I can I ask you what made you want to work in psychology what drew you to the area of mental health
7: actually yeah, the truth is I kind of fell into it so initially I had wanted to study to be a lawyer Really? Yes, that was actually the original plan for myself, but um, had a family issue and uh thus I ended up moving to a place that I hadn't really applied for okay. and the easiest program to get into was psychology. No. <laughs> yes.
2: And how many years and how many books later? <laughs> oh, my God. So about 12 years and <laughs> too many books later. Goodness me. Isn't that amazing? That is yeah. Really, that, that's really wonderful. And so and what do you think is, has changed, you know, in, I don't want to say the industry, but I guess in the space in that time, the conversations you're having with colleagues and mental health, what's what's evolved in in that you know more than a decade i think definitely what has changed
7: is how we view individuals i mean when oh my god i'm gonna make myself sound so old but like when i was younger and i was studying Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things that we thought about mental health that are very different now especially in terms of like paying more attention to the body moving a little bit away from the medical model and trying to look at more biopsychosocial models uh, definitely, diagnoses have changed, the way we view individuals, the way we kind of collaborate with other um, specialties. All of that has really changed and has become far more collaborative than it used to be.
2: Interesting. And what about us, the general public? You know, what, what about our conversations, our attitudes? And you know, can we point to the pandemic as being a bit of an accelerator in some of these conversations?
7: Well, I definitely think the pandemic helped quite a bit. Um, And I think a lot of people started to give mental health a lot more importance and the importance actually that it deserves Mm -hmm. after COVID um, because it became a lot more apparent. However, I think gradually there's been um, less stigma associated with seeking help and, and more awareness. And I think you know, uh, social media and the internet has really helped with that, to be honest, in many ways. I mean, it has been a detriment in some ways, but other ways, it has definitely helped spread the the knowledge, the reality of mental health versus, you know, what people thought it was and and the stigma
2: behind it. And in that vein, um, I'm sure you've come across some interesting slash incorrect, frustrating myths and misconceptions (coughs) about (laughs) mental health over the years, which are the ones that you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hand the microphone over to you, Dr. T. You've got, you've got the floor. What would you like to address? Oh, wow. Uh, so many. But
7: let's start with um, that mental health uh, concerns are very rare. Uh, actually, it's far more common than people think. Statistically, we have the one in four people suffer with a mental health condition, but that is only reported. Mm-hmm. So I would say the number is probably one in three, if not one in two. Um, in terms of what people think about psychology and psychiatry, A, they might think that we're mind readers, which would be a phenomenal gift, but not accurate. Um, it, they believe that medication is always a necessity, which is, it is not. Um, they believe that people who go to see ther- uh, therapists are, are crazy or psychotic, which is completely incorrect. And you need to wait until, you know, everything goes really wrong in your life before you actually see somebody um, and get the help. So I would say those are the definite top ones on
2: on my mind. Oh, Dr. Thry with us this afternoon, setting us straight on World Mental Health Day. What have you always wanted to know about mental health, about therapy, about treatment, but maybe didn't have the right place to ask? I am here for you. And when I say I, I actually don't mean me at all. I mean, Dr. Thryer clinical psychologist joining us from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. So, Dr. Thryer in your time as a clinical psychologist, have you ever met someone whose mental health was 100% that they were so sorted they didn't need any help?
7: The honest answer is... Yes and no.
2: Oh, great! (laughs) I I mean, present company accepted, obviously. Well,
7: here's the thing: I've met a lot of people that have learned to deal with their uh, mental health concerns Mm. in a way where they have become regulated and have figured out the the healthy coping strategies for them to deal with life. So, yes, I have. However. Have I met someone who has never experienced a mental health concern? Absolutely not.
2: So we've all got our own kind of, I guess, degree or flavour of, uh, of, I don't want to say problems because, you know, that sounds very negative, but of experiences perhaps. Correct. Okay. Now, this is maybe a bit of a controversial question, but is having mental health concerns a bit of a luxury? I'm thinking about huge swathes of the global population that haven't got the headspace, the time, the luxury to think, I'm feeling a little bit anxious today because they're simply working hard to provide for their family, and they've got bigger things at play. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm asking, is this a, a bit of a first-world problem? So it's it's a tough
7: question to answer because you know there's not a lot of research that is done on individuals um, that do not access mental health concerns mm-hmm. uh, or mental health services. However, what I can say is what we what we have found is that when individuals are struggling to survive, they may experience uh, symptoms of anxiety, they may experience symptoms of depression, but they don't necessarily get stuck into what we might consider like a victim mentality, mm-hmm. where they let, let they let it kind of bring them down, because they don't have the luxury. Mm-hmm. So they might experience the symptoms like trauma, for instance, there are a lot of individuals in war torn countries and, and places where there's severe poverty, there's a lot of um, you know, uh, difficulties and conflicts that happen in their neighborhoods that experience traumatic symptoms, however, do not have the time nor the space to have to deal with them. So they, they either distract, they continue on with life. However, those those feelings can definitely catch up with them later on mm-hmm. when things kind of stabilize. So it's I wouldn't say it's a luxury. I would definitely say that there's a lot of privilege that comes with individuals who have the access to mental health services, mm-hmm. because a lot of people do not. However, um, I don't say have. I wouldn't say that having a mental health difficulty is a luxury mm-hmm. in and of itself. Well,
2: just earlier today, um, Georgia Tolly on the agenda was talking about health insurance when it comes to mental health coverage. Is that something mm-hmm. that you've seen a, a, something of a shift of? And I'm asking in a very positive way. Please say yes that we are seeing more insurance companies and certainly more employers offering that as part of their benefits. Or do we still have a long way to go?
7: I would say we still have a long way to go, to be honest, because although I do see some insurance companies definitely doing what they need to be doing and providing that kind of mental health, I do see that a lot of insurance companies are not. And then they hide behind, uh, oh, your policy doesn't cover it. Mm -hmm. So the insurance might cover it, but your policy doesn't cover it and so on and so forth. And, And or they'll ask for ridiculous things like, "Okay, we'll cover three sessions for the year. Correct. You know, So, yeah, so I think some of them are just trying to tick boxes. But in essence, I do see that some insurance companies are really putting in that effort.
2: Yeah, Master Chair is saying my issue is exactly that, the cost of, med- of treatment of medical uh, mental health that's not covered by medical insurance. And Dr. Rai, you've spoken really eloquently on the show before, I guess, about that mind-body connection. So what are we learning about that? And I'm really hoping that more information, more research can point to the fact that we need to be prioritizing you know, mental health in the same way that we do physical health. So how is that space evolving?
7: Well, you know, there's so much more research on how the body has is connected to the mind. And and it's, it's so beautiful to see that people are starting to truly understand that there's really no such thing as mental health. It's really just your health in general. Because when we talk, and here's a little bit of biology, but when we talk about, you know, the autonomic nervous system, and we talk about the sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, enteric nervous system, which are key areas of the body in order for it to function those systems actually provide the necessary neurotransmitters and hormones for feeling good for stabilizing mood so if your body is not okay it's not possible to be mentally okay as well so they're very much one
2: and the same makes it makes a lot of sense it really it really does We are marking World Mental Health Day and in conversation now with Dr. Thryer, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. This is your chance to ask the questions that maybe you've never had the opportunity to ask or you've been afraid to or never really known the person. Dr. T is on hand and we are going to go to the text line. Um, Dr. Thryer, really, um, really do appreciate your time. Um, N's been in touch <laughs> saying, why do therapists need therapy if they know the tools they need to use? Ooh, so do therapists get therapy? Well, the good ones do. (laughs) Go on.
7: (laughs) The reality is is that we're human before we're therapists. So considering the amount of stories that we hear on a daily basis and the amount of information that we get and how heavy that can be for us and also how triggering it can be because some of these experiences we've we've actually experienced Mm -hmm. ourselves. And so it's important to not just seek out therapy, but also seek out supervision where you you know, talk through these things. And it's not so much that we don't know how to cope with it, but it's, it is sometimes good to have, and very cathartic to have that experience of just sharing information with somebody else who also can keep things confidential.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I've been reading a lot about empaths recently, and I think that, you know, you obviously do need to have a degree of empathy as a therapist, but there must be a danger of taking on so much of other people's, you know, stories and struggles, and I guess protecting your energy do you think there's a bit of a high burnout rate in, in the profession for that reason?
7: Well I think uh, I think psychologists can burn out when they're not taking care of themselves properly. That is definitely um, quite common for individuals who aren't being careful. That's one of the reasons why I say that you know um, supervision is extremely important mm-hmm. and self-care is very important for psychologists.
2: Message from Jay saying, "Um, thank you for this. I've suffered with anxiety for pretty much all my life, was even an anxious child. And I was wondering today what it must be like to slip into the mind of someone who doesn't flap, who doesn't fear the worst and has a lovely, calm and tranquil life. And not a question as such, but I think that's such an interesting point that we... We've got no idea what is going on in the brains of other people. Like our normal might be someone else's totally abnormal. Mm-hmm. And for someone, you know, as this listener saying that they've had anxiety their own life, and they can't even imagine what it must be like to not worry, to not catastrophize, to not flap, to borrow their fear, you know, words and, and fear the worst. Um, I guess it's a, a, yeah, a little exercise in empathy of thinking, you know, we don't know what, what other people are going through. Um, right. I'm going to try and get through as many matches as we can, Dr. Thry. We haven't got that. We haven't got that long. Um, No name on this one saying, how do I talk to my 10 year old child? recent diagnosis of autism and ADHD? I haven't wrapped my own head around it yet, so I don't know how to talk about it. Um, What advice? And I think this speaks to a really interesting point that I'm I'm absolutely going to be addressing on the show around support for parents of, of children who've had a diagnosis because... Having friends who have got children with some really, really challenging diagnosis and behaviour, it is non-stop stress in some situations, Mm -hmm. whether that is, you know, behavioural or just worries. So I I don't know if you're going to be able to give a definitive answer to this question, but I think it's it's really important to address that this is absolutely a very real thing. Um, So how do you talk, and I know you're not necessarily a child psychologist, but to a 10-year-old, what would be age appropriate about having a diagnosis?
7: Well, I mean, I think it's important to first wrap your own head around the diagnosis because I know that a lot of parents experience a sense of guilt because we do do a lot of psychoeducational assessments for children. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, either we do uh, identify that there's an intellectual deficit, autism or even ADHD, whatever it is. But what, what we realize is that the parents have to come to terms with the diagnosis first before they can have that conversation with their children. And speaking with a child psychologist and a, a kind of because definitely you want to do this in an age appropriate manner. I'm not the expert on chi- on children, so I, I, I don't want to speak too much to it. But what I can say is that definitely the first step is is coming to terms with the diagnosis, recognizing that your child is still the same child. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. It's just that they're going to navigate life through a different lens. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank- and, you know, getting whether you know, there's maybe some professional help yourself, you know, talk to someone who hasn't got any agenda right. or any kind of skin in the game, you know, whether it's a partner or a friend who might be somehow involved, someone completely removed and abstract, uh, which brings me to my question, which is about how do you know who, you, who to go to? Um, you know, we've got counsellors, we've got psychologists, we've got clinical psychologists, we've got psychiatrists. How do you ascertain which person and I guess even which treatment is going to be the best match for you? So I guess the
7: quickest answer to that would be if you're looking for medication, a psychiatrist is the way to go. If you're looking for more talk therapy, a psychologist is the way to go. Now, the difference between counselor, psychologist, psychotherapist, it. it, A bit of it has to do with where the person graduated from, but also the degree that they graduated with. So this Mm. is uh, the onus on the client to make sure that you actually ask your psychologist or counselor or psychotherapist what their credentials are And, and make sure you look that up because sometimes people will say, okay, we're this and we have expertise in this. But when you look at their credentials, they don't actually. Okay. So it's very important to kind of make sure that who you're going to see has the
2: the credentials of what what it is that you're looking for. And we are in a a land of social media now where anyone can stick anything in their Instagram bio and suddenly they're an expert. Have you seen a bit of a rise of the so-called... Dodgy experts and misinformation so circulating oh, yeah. around psychology on oh, social yeah. media. Oh yes. Oh yes.
7: Oh, yes. <laughs> I would. I would like one day with just the power to delete so many different accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So yeah. Curate your curate your social feed carefully and check those credentials Um, I wanted to go to this message this is from Julie Mallon who we've actually got on the show on Thursday we're going to be talking about sleep saying one of the most important aspects to help grow an emotionally strong adult is to allow our children to feel and sleep and allow them to know these feelings are healthy even when they are uncomfortable Good advice. Um, Now, whether it is recognising in yourself that you need some help or in this listener's just been in touch saying how to convince someone they need to get help. My husband's depression is on and off, but has been spiralling. He thinks he needs a new job or even a new country. I think he needs to speak to a professional. There's a lot of pride going on. Can you convince someone that they need to get help? Is this listener fighting a losing battle or are there some ways of, you know, hopefully getting some clarity there?
7: You know, I think one of the most difficult things is to watch someone suffer and not have the power to be able to help them. Mm -hmm. And in certain situations when a person is unwilling or even sometimes unable to recognize what they're going through, it's very hard to be the partner of that person or a loved one of that person. What I would recommend in this type of a situation is not necessarily, you know, point it out because if there is ego and pride in that situation, try not to point it out too directly. But maybe some, you know, come at it from a different perspective of like, I'm here if you need anything, you know, try to be as supportive as possible and maybe even go together. Be like, you know what, I think... You know, we're in a position where some things are going great and some things aren't going so well. Let's go talk to somebody, the both of us together. So it kind mm. of breaks the ice. So it's not so much like you're the problem. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, you
2: know? that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, Dr. um I wanted to ask then about coming back to finding the right expert. How often should you give it with a psychologist, a psychiatrist to, to build that trust and, and find that click? And... Ultimately, the importance of finding the right person. Because I've had this before, you know. It's taken a lot of guts to make an appointment, and when I've got in the room, I've just thought, oh, I'm just not feeling Mm. this, which felt like, you know, a bit of a intuitive thing. And I went a couple of times, and I was like, you know what, I was right. I actually don't feel comfortable with this person for whatever reason, not to do with their qualifications or their personality. It just wasn't a match. But how long should you give it before you know going? Do you know what? Great for someone else, not for me.
7: Yeah. Well, uh, when it comes to psychiatry. I would say if, you're, if you re- realize that your psychiatrist is not listening to you and they're not taking on board what you're saying, then go find another psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, medically, especially when it comes to medication, I always say get a second opinion because it just makes you feel a little bit better to do so. When it comes to a psychologist, the reality is it takes a little bit longer. So you do need to see, I mean, definitely, if you, you, if you feel like your psychologist is not listening to you, then, then walk, walk away. But if you feel that you're not feeling that connection yet, Sometimes it's not so much the connection, but your personal resistance in the moment, or it could be that the psychologist is not able to connect to you yet. So if sometimes, give it a few sessions. If you're not feeling it, also tell the psychologist. I, I think it's so important for clients to understand that they have rights and responsibilities in these sessions as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're not feeling it, mention it, say something uh, like maybe you guys can work through it together um, and work towards developing that kind of a connection, and maybe not, but sometimes bringing that up allows you to to take space within the therapy session and also allows
2: your voice to come out and What about on your side? you know what if you feel like this isn 't someone that I can or maybe even want to work with has that Has that happened in the past i 'm not asking you you know specifically, but <laughs> By all um, to know.
7: <laughs> well, in, in general, the, I mean, as psychologists, we do find that we have limitations. And usually that limitation comes from our scope of practice and our scope of competence. So if there's someone that, for instance, I come will come to see me and I'm like, this is not my area of expertise, I would refer them definitely to mm-hmm. somebody else. But if it's, I, w- I would say personally, I can't speak for other psychologists, but I can say personally, I've never had a client that I'm like, ooh, I don't like this person. Like that, I always think to myself that, Every client that I see, I see I see pain, and I see her, and I see potential. And so for myself, it's it's very much like I can see where where this person can be, and I want to help them get there because that's where they want to go. Yeah. So it it there's not, much, there's not much there that I feel like I can't work with within my scope of competence.
2: Makes sense. We've got one minute left, which I want to give to you to share maybe some of the best things that everyone listening today can do for their mental health you know we think about mental health being in crisis but sometimes it's a case of you know what can we do to bolster to improve to keep Mm. a good thing going dr t what would you love everyone listening to to try adjust or incorporate i would say five main
7: things make sure you sleep well and julie will definitely be helpful with that i Mm -hmm. love her with that so sleep making sure that you eat a, a good um, like you have a healthy diet. It doesn't have, it doesn't mean healthy as a no burgers, no sweets. No, go for it. Enjoy it. I love my sweets. However, um, be balanced exercise. Definitely for sure. Stay away from social media and any kind of devices before you go to bed by at least half an hour. If you can, if you're ideal at an hour um, and meditate, meditate or breathing exercises, grounding techniques, anything that really allows you to, to be embodied as an individual those five would be my top five.
2: And I would add to that list, it's okay to ask for help if it's if you need it. I Absolutely. think that normalizing that is really, really crucial. And sometimes it will be medication. Sometimes it will be therapy. Sometimes it will be a combination of both. Um, Dr. T, thank you so much. Really, really interesting. We've had a message from Remy saying, always a pleasure to listen to you both. Such an enlightening show. Thank you for hosting these topics. So Dr. Thryer, happy World Mental Health Day to you. Thank you. You too, Helen. And um, the card's in the post, if, if they make such a thing. <laughs> so, and we'll speak to you very soon indeed. We love introducing you to inspirational people and giving you ideas of places to go and hot topics too. A two-day summit starts tomorrow. Crunch Mums are bringing together change makers, thought leaders and yes, us, the general public to come along and learn from some really interesting people across a whole range of topics. Empowerment, how women can show up for their companies, their friends, their families. And as the founder says themselves as well From menopause to motherhood money We're going to be talking about today briefly And mental health, nothing is off the table Julie Wynn with us today The co-founder of Crunch Moms And we've also got Rania She's the founder of the RMK Collective Who's moderating a session on financial independence And freedom for women Great to have you both with us And Julie, I'm just incre- incredibly impressed You've got time to come and sit down for half an hour When you've got an event starting tomorrow oh, How are you? for you <laughs> I'm great I'm excited too Now, two days and it sounds like countless experts across a whole range of topics are you able to give us a little tease on some of the, the yeah the, the hot topics that are going to be addressed at the conference oh, absolutely
8: Summit? so we found these topics because we listen to our community and so these are topics that women companies men parents want to hear um, I think some of the most exciting ones is definitely the one that mo- Rania is moderating, Financial Independence and Freedom for Women. Um, definitely the realities of working parents because we're constantly juggling from making those lunch boxes to figure out what our kids need to do the next mm. day to our own work which Helen, we know you're speaking on and we're so excited
2: I'll about. I'll be there 9 o'clock tomorrow morning laying it all bare <laughs> the good, <laughs> the bad and the ugly of being a working parent.
8: <laughs> yeah, because it's hard and you know, let's all talk about how hard that is because mm-hmm. we're all trying to juggle it together. We have specialists that are um, experts within parenting talking about connection um, with your children and the importance and how we go about that when raising them. And then, of course, the one that's not talked about enough is women's wellness. You know, we're talking about all the things, as you mentioned, menopause, aging well, nutrition, movement, mental resilience. And, you know, it's really going to impact women in the workplace, but women in general. The midlife
2: transformation is is important. I feel like some of these conversations are being had, but mostly online rather than in person. And I feel like there's some great information out there, but there's a huge amount of power of being in a room and seeing people nodding along, of people having those Me Too moments. Rania, Mm -hmm. has that been the case for you professionally and and personally, having a sense of community around you as a woman?
1: And I think there is a huge power when women get together, that female power, when you really feel the support. Mm -hmm. And like you said, nodding heads, but really understanding when you speak up and when you speak up together, you realize that it's, you know, you have achievable goals. Mm -hmm. It's not you alone in your head. When you're a minority in many corporate environments, you find yourself Holding back a lot, so I think that what Crunch Moms created is a very safe place for people to share and feel empowered, and most importantly, they get tools that they can actually use. I think that's exactly it. It's, it's not a case of going.
2: OK, we all we are yeah. really struggling being a working <laughs> exactly. parent. It's
1: like, OK, what can
2: I what can I learn from people? What can I put in place in in my own life? Mm. Um, this is the second summit you've had, Julie. What What's changed for this one? What have you added or how have the conversations changed even in 12 months?
8: Yeah, so it's it's I mean, we've evolved some things. I think last year was definitely a big success because I think everyone shared, wow, these were powerful conversations that were had. I've never mm-hmm. seen a room so focused to the panel speakers. Um, this year is something that we want to make very clear, is it's uh, which was the same as last year. It's for all, for men, for women, for women in transition, moms, parents, single moms and dads, mm-hmm. professionals. Um, it's everyone and anyone that believes in um, the potential future for women. Um, It's um, showcasing the brands of the women in our community. We're going to be having our first Crunch Moms Marketplace. Mm. So we're showcasing women that have started their businesses from our um, membership and network and from the wider community to give them that platform. That's very cool. Because
2: Sometimes it's not just enough to hear it you've got to see it you know you've got exactly. to see what people what people have achieved so is this going to cost me some money am the i going to market the
8: crunch oh i mean the crunch Mums marketplace i will say is free and open to the public Excellent. to come yeah. will you be spending some money definitely. definitely yeah because <laughs> when you
2: hear their stories it's different when you see it on instagram than totally. then when you hear them talk about how and why Um, Rania, you are moderating a session, I believe, on Thursday on financial independence and freedom for women. You've got Mm. three panellists with you. Mm. Um, I don't want to steal the thunder of the summit, but I'm really keen to get your thoughts on this. Um, When you think about financial independence for women in the region, what immediately came to mind when Mm. Julie came to you with this topic? What what are you looking to address?
1: I mean, she came to me with this topic because she knows I'm very passionate about it. I think that what I really want to get through is that financial independence is freedom. It's personal freedom. It is like when we talk about empowering women, empower them with tools where they can really feel powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's a basic that unfortunately we don't teach enough our girls. Um, culturally, it's also a little bit behind in the region. Um, in schools, we don't strengthen. It's always the boys that are, you know, the finance and the girls are the creative and we've seen a lot of cases where I could say it's a huge handicap for women either um, after a divorce or, or not after even being losing- able to get
2: to a divorce because they feel financially Absolutely. trapped. You know, we've talked about um, abusive relationships and exactly. you know, financially abusive relationships are mm. very much a real thing. So, you know, for everyone listening today, you know, what would you what would you like people to start doing or? you know, start reading or start investigating when it comes to achieving some financial freedoms?
1: So the amazing thing on my panel, I have three amazing women. Um, I have an entrepreneur uh, who is the founder of Party Camel um, and I have a co-founder of Sarwa, which is a platform for investment. I'm which is, obsessed with Sarwa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but see, like that for me, and I've been a senior executive my you know the past 20 years. I only started investing personally like three years ago, me too. and mm-hmm. I had to learn how to do it. So I'm super happy that Nadine has created this platform, educating women that they can invest. They don't only need to have the root, the traditional root of a salary, if that's what it is. And I, I, what I love about good. Aisha is that she's you know, she created a startup because she did not want to be financially dependent on her husband, although they have an amazing relationship, right? And she did come from a family that was not Pushing her to be financially literate. Mm -hmm. Um, and finally, Carol Glenn, who I've had on my podcast. Do you know her? She's great. Fantastic. (laughs) And she gives, that's what I love. She gives tools that you can actually use right after leaving that summit. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about how to, how to discuss. Financial situation with your partner. Have the difficult uh, conversations together. Sit down, talk about how your finances. What are the values? What's the vision for your savings?
2: I think it's a topic that many women shy away from, and it doesn't ultimately get us anywhere. You know, it, it's very easy, and I was definitely guilty of this of thinking well, that doesn't concern me. That's something that you're going I'm to deal with, mm. and you know, my goodness, worst case scenario, you know, your partner passes away and you don't know where any money Mm. is. You don't know where the passwords are. Best case scenario, you've got really, really great opinions and great instincts when it comes to investing to do with Mm. saving and Mm. having these shared goals as a couple and your own individual goals Mm. as well. And I think that will be a really interesting one to come along to and hear, as you're saying, stories of an entrepreneur, um, to be hearing about Sawa, which as I said, I have got I've got my automated money going out to them every single month. <laughs> Amazing. Um and again from Carol Glenn who She's got a real toolkit there for couples as well as women to, exactly, to work together it's and be more conscious a, about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple of messages for you, Julie, asking where and when. So, uh, let's, so <laughs> let, let's get down to, to the nitty gritty of the Crunch Mum Summit.
8: Starting tomorrow. So it's a two day summit, o- Wednesday, October 11th and Thursday, October 12th at the very beautiful East West Atelier, which is located within the Courtyard. Um, in Alcuz. The marketplace will be also within the courtyard at the studio. Um, 8 to 5, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. So come on over.
2: And in terms of, is it a case of signing up for one day or two days? And how can people buy tickets? And I guess, crucially, are there any left?
8: Um, We have sold out, but we have secured a few extra spots for any of the listeners. So definitely go to the website, crunchmoms.com forward slash summit. We have our late at the door tickets available because we had to close out the regular tickets yesterday. Um, You can get the option of a day one and day two only pass. You can also get the all access um, for both days. And the new addition, which I didn't mention earlier, is anyone can join worldwide. There's a live stream um, with a very nice, um, very, very nice live
2: stream um, that anyone anywhere in the world can join. There you go. If you want details for that, just send me the word crunch. I'll send you the link. I'll be there bright and early tomorrow morning, our first panel tomorrow, which is all about the realities of working parents. I'll try not to cry, and I'll try and come up with some great advice. <laughs> We've got tissues for Thank you. Thank you, Rania, Julie. an absolute pleasure to have you both in the Thank studio, you. and all the very best. The countdown is on the calendar, 13 hours to go to day one tick, tick. of the Crunch Mums Summit. As I say, it's not just for mums, um, it can be parents, it can be you know, HR, if you're a leader, if you want to meet some inspirational people, it is open to you too.